This is episode 244 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Control and Compound Financial. They teach real estate investors how to multiply their wealth using infinite banking strategies. For a complimentary wealth coaching session or to learn more, visit www.controlandcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines. Welcome back to the show. Today, I've got Andrew Parishus on the show, and that's kind of a tough name for me to say, and that's not even the official version of it. Uh, so Andrew was kind enough to come on the show. He recently had me on his show, The Property Hustlers, with his co-host Ping, and we had a great talk there. If you haven't already heard that, I strongly encourage you to go check that episode out. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to have Andrew on because I think he's a wealth of knowledge. I think it goes real deep. Uh, kind of like an onion, you know, you peel back the layers. He's just doing so much stuff and real, real estate is in his blood. Like it, he's been doing it since he's, uh, since he was 18, uh, 36 years old now. So, you know, 18 years of real estate investing and uh, he's just got it all going on. Property management, they're doing mailers on autopilot. Uh, they're invested in multifamilies. Um, and uh, really just hustling properties, which is uh, probably the inspiration for their show name. Uh, so in this episode, we talked a lot about Andrew's journey through real estate, how he thinks about things, how real estate was sort of in his family, um, and how he took it to the next level when he partnered with his uh, business partner, Ping. Um, it was really interesting. Uh, lots of insights were shared, and I think you're going to get a lot out of this one. So uh, just before you jump into that episode, uh, I want to ask you to please take a moment to rate, review, and do all those things that help get this podcast out there just so more people can uh, can hear it and watch it. And I also want to remind you that we host our monthly meetup, uh, and it's where real estate investors can get together and share stories, uh, etc. And I strongly advise that you come out to one of those meetups if you can, because it's a great opportunity to uh, meet and build your network. Uh, so with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into the episode with Andrew Parashas. Please enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Andrew Parashas. Parashas, yeah. Okay. That's the more simple way of saying it, as you told me. Uh, do you want to say the proper way? Uh, it, it's Paraskis, but like, it's all good. It, it's Parashas, all good. Okay. Parashas works. It's, We're going to keep it, keep it simple for now. How it's felt. All right. Cool, man. So you have your own podcast. You came here. Uh, I was on yours recently and I wanted to have uh, you and your co-host on. So we're starting with you. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about yourself and you know what your backstory is, because I really just saw your uh, really well done stories on, uh, well, shorts on Instagram. And that's yeah. kind of how I knew about you. OK, no, that's perfect. I mean, uh, that's a that's a big question. I mean, so like I'm I'm from Canada. I was born in Toronto. Okay. Uh, I grew up in Greece. Um, have family in Greece and from Singapore, and I mentioned that because I find that that stuff has a lot of influence in you know how I operate today and here, a lot of uh, cultural influence in terms of like business, real estate, mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, I went to I went to school here in Toronto, um, and I went to university here in Hamilton actually, and. Basically, when I was getting into everything, it was largely my mother's influence that got me into real estate like really young. I'm 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 36 right now. I got into real estate when I was like 18 years old, so I had nice. a, a really early start. And like, things. were you as an agent or no? As uh, somebody who was gonna buy, basically. But, so you've been buying since you're 18. And you're 36. Yeah. So it, it, it's one of these stories where. Um, you know, imagine you're a high school kid, you're working, you're trying to save money. What's one of the first things you want to buy? You want to buy a car, 
right? Yeah, I guess yeah, so. I want to yeah. buy a car. So I was saving up for a car. And then my mom uh, realized how much money I made because I was working construction with my dad during summers. And he was paying me pretty well. Yeah. And uh, basically, uh, I had enough money to buy myself, at the time, a Hyundai Tiburon. I was so excited. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, this is going to be it. This is going to be I can press on my friends. And my mom finds out this is what we're going to do. She smacked me. Mm. And she says, you know, you're not going to buy a car. Poor people, the first thing they do is they buy a car. Yeah. Rich people, they invest. I'm like, what are you going to invest? So she was all yeah, gung-ho yeah. on like uh, Rich That Poor Debt seminars at the time. Wow, that's great, man. Yeah. So everything was lying up. And then she's like, this is what I learned. And we thought she was getting scammed with all these seminars. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she, she wrote me in um and uh partnered with me and uh helped me get my first property here in or there in hamilton okay so you were at mac at the time or that was when you were in high school i was still? like right out of high school yeah and you said and high school was in toronto high school was in toronto and then why did you invest in hamilton because she was looking at properties there at the time okay because toronto was obviously not working at the time yeah i mean it's all, all things being relative right but she was looking at properties there and she's like it's not going to get any cheaper. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to get any cheaper, right? Yeah, exactly. Honestly, and it didn't. No, no, it, it didn't. Uh, the first place that we picked up was uh, $94,000. Wow, nice. Like a single family home? Triplex. Wow. It's <clears throat> crazy. Those That's deals like, aren't the same anymore. Nope, nope. But it definitely gave you a lot of confidence and a head start. Yeah. So 18 years old. So did you go to university? You you did like a full four year? Yeah. So, I mean, I had a bunch of stuff to do. I don't know how much detail to go into, but I mean, uh, because I'm a Greek citizen, I had army service coming up. So I got conscripted to the Greek military and I had to go. Yeah. Otherwise, I would lose my citizenship. Okay. So that had to get done at some point. So I decided I was going to work a few years in construction, fix up this junker of a house that we bought. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I got excited to buy another one. So for a while, I didn't, I didn't go to university. I didn't go to school or anything. I just was listening to my mom, mm-hmm. picking up real estate one after the other. And uh, because my brother and I were both in construction, we were able to sort of flip houses. And oh, so you were flipping already. Yeah, but it wasn't really flipping back then. It was just like, hey, this this is now worth quite a bit of money. Maybe we should sell mm-hmm. it, right? Well, things weren't so systemized back yeah. then. So um, there wasn't as much of a science to it. So we were picking up property and my mom was also buying with us. And we were sell it when it was profitable, keep it if it made more sense to just rent it out. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's kind of how that was working, and then I went to did my Greek army service. That's a whole story. Did a little bit more school there because I thought it'd be a great idea. It wasn't. Greek economy turns out is a little unstable, <laughs> or at least at the time it was. And um, yeah, then came back here and did some more real estate, and then did some school. So I mean, in a nutshell, that's yeah. What did you study in school? Uh, here, yeah, I did nursing. Nursing, okay. Yeah, thought you um, wanted to be a nurse. No, um, <laughs> no, um, <clears throat> I, I mean, I don't know what, what you would call that, but, but basically when, uh, when I decided to go to, into to school, it was kind of like I, w- I was, I was 26 years old when I went to university in Canada and it was kind of like I was doing nothing but real estate. So when you start doing real estate that young and you start going to seminars, it kind of alienates you from an entire population in your own age group. Oh I yeah. Was, Cause they're not thinking that at all. Right? No. And at yeah. 26, I had just gotten out of a long-term relationship, and I felt like I felt like I had completely just neglected or missed a part of my life to yeah, enjoy certain things. So it was like almost like a quarter-life crisis or something. I don't mm-hmm. know if like uh, yeah, that's I hear what you yeah. call yeah. it. And I decided to go. And the thing about nursing was that it was the most, in my opinion, I, I looked at a bunch of programs, the most practical four-year program you could go into. 
Okay. And more so than business? With the highest likelihood, should I need to, to get a job. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're in demand. Nurses are in exactly. demand. Exactly. And also, I looked yeah. into the fact that male nurses are also in short supply. Mm-hmm. So that was also something I could capitalize on if I needed to. Is that something that that's a thing? Like people want male nurses? Officially, I think not. However, definitely for any of the troublesome situations. Like I, I, I worked on some of the floors there as part of like the program. And, mm. uh, you know, anytime there was anything remotely heavy to do, you know, hey, Andrew, mm. can you come and like help yeah, with this yeah. patient? Right. They're not going to ask the mm-hmm. the other girl who I was working with this 90 pound Chinese girl. They're not going to ask her to lift the patient. Yeah, along, gotcha. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's things like that. There's also wards where patients are a little bit more physical. And obviously you need yeah. people who are able to contend with it. I'm sure there are some women that can, but uh, there is yeah. definitely a need for people who have a disposition towards, it, I guess. Gotcha. Okay, yeah, that makes sense, man. That's very calculated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you got you got to think things yeah. through a little bit, right? So, yeah, that's awesome. But so it wasn't because you liked it; it was just it tur- no. It was I was always interested in yeah. health and fitness yeah, gotcha. and that kind so of thing. There's that too. The the yeah. the the one I was teetering on was kinesiology, right? It was either right. that or nursing. No, it's it's super practical though. Like, I mean, if somebody you know, say for instance, you're out in the wild and somebody got hurt, you have. You have some skills that you could uh, you could bring to the table. Theoretically, yeah. <laughs> you haven't practically used them yet. I mean, you know what? Yeah. There's 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 a lot of science behind it that they that they do teach you, and you learn a lot of the practical stuff when you're on when you're on the floor. The first thing they tell mm-hmm. you when you're on the floor is is forget everything that they taught you, and now let's learn real nursing, right? Yeah. So the edu- there's a difference between the education system and, and what the they practical. do on the floor, right? Yeah. The education system teaches you the pinnacle, the ideals. Yeah, yeah. And then it kind of like dilutes a little into the workforce, whether people admit it or not. That's what happens. Fair enough. Yeah, that's a fair point. And I think that uh, that's pretty much true with almost any profession. But I'm sure there's some college programs where it's like you literally do exactly what you're going to you're going to do in the real Co- world. In college, yeah. In college, that's different than university. Yeah. And actually, yeah. I think co- that's the thing. Uh, when I told my dad I was going into nursing, you know, and he's, he's the Greek one. Right. And uh, he was like, you know, this is like a, it's not a university program. Is it? It's a college program because mm-hmm. traditionally it always was. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, but they teach like a higher level of uh, science there. And actually, I did find a lot of it was very useful in business. Okay. Surprisingly enough. Give me an example of that. Okay. So they they have um, they have concepts, right? Uh, that they teach, and uh, they have uh, models of uh, let's just call intuition that they okay. that nurses are supposed to exercise, and it, it's basically teaching you how to navigate people. So okay. if you are trying to deliver care to somebody, um, you need to be able to explain to them what it is you're doing, why you're doing it, and in a manner that they are going to be receptive. Gotcha. Okay. Now, if you are looking to work with somebody, oh, that's the same. Yeah, the same thing. Yeah. Right? If you're going to, you're going to because if you're working with somebody, you're delivering some kind of care. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, you need to accept, you need to explain yeah. some kind of uh, information so that they can have an understanding. You need to be able to say it in such a way that they are going yeah. to be able to comprehend. So when you're buying your off-market deals, you lay it out just like a nurse would. There is a <laughs> lot of, there is definitely a lot of nursing skills that go into that, and you you don't quite realize it. Yeah, until uh, you're doing that makes it. a lot of sense. Yeah. So. Okay, so so that's a good segue into what you do now. So you started buying just triplexes and small houses and things like that, and have you scaled that up? I think you mentioned you were doing multifamilies. Yeah. So um, obviously it started off as a family thing and it still remains a family thing. Um, and uh, we only did three units minimum and up. And that was because my mother's teaching was that the first, uh, you always need three units. Even back yeah. then, this was her, this was what yeah. she would say. You always need three units. The first unit pays for the, the health bills. The second, the second unit pays for your mortgage. The third unit is your profit. 
Gotcha. Right. Those kind of skew a little bit now, but you know, at the time it probably worked. It worked. Yeah. A hundred percent. And even right now, rents are going up like crazy. It's starting to look like it could like things can perform, right. Depending on how the rents are looking. But Yeah. yeah, that was, that was the idea. So we were picking up properties like that. And, uh, anytime we could find a good deal, my brother and I would look at these and say, okay, can we fix this up? And we were doing renovation jobs in Toronto. Like we had clients in the bridal path. We had clients in like these rich uh, Markham areas. And we had learned to do renovations at a certain standard. Yeah. And we came into Hamilton and we're buying these places up. And we were definitely over renovating these places. We were making places really nice. Like people used to come and yeah. like look at our houses for rent and say, wow, these look like Ancaster homes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so you guys were doing contracting as well, though. Like yeah. Were, so, yeah. in between, like after we finish a house, we'd go yeah. pick up a job, and yeah. then you know, in between jobs, if we had a house, we'd yeah, work yeah. on the house. So you were doing everything yourself, like and set the tile, yeah. drywall, everything. Everything, everything. Yeah, yeah. So cool, great skills to have. Yeah, you're very employable. Nursing, contracting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you needed to. Yeah. No, that that was yeah. that was sort of the idea. My family was always very practical like that. Mm-hmm. I think more people need to get back to that. Just become practically useful. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole thing with Canada. Right? That's the whole thing. <laughs> We've gone into that. Yeah. For yeah. more on that, watch the episode uh, I did on your show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've never been one to mince my words. I probably should mince them a little bit more sometimes, but <laughs> also <laughs> we were definitely. talking about that offline. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways. Okay. So. Uh, so family business, your brother, your mother, you guys are all doing it together. Yeah. Well, I mean, we all have like interchangeable skills. So and. Basically, basically everybody is able to bring something to the table. And then we start. and then my mother was really looking into the taxes and stuff. So she started to realize the benefit of houses in, in, in different family members' names, mm-hmm. especially people who really didn't have um, any desire to leverage themselves too much. Mm-hmm. Right. And people do this all the time, you know, get and put in your father's name, your mother's name, your brother's oh, yeah. name, whoever's, and then just roll properties, right? Yeah. And get them and that. Use their credit. Did you not. guys eventually go to like the commercial financing route where it's not it's not really relevant to your personal situation? So my family, no. Okay. But with Ping, yes. Oh, okay. So you do stuff with Ping as well uh, for the multifamilies? Yeah. So with Ping, actually that Ping was, Ping was my scaling point. Okay. Right. There's a lot of strength in doing things with family. There's a lot of limitations. Mm-hmm. Well, I look back on that and I think of how I did things before. And like, if I just knew like the people I know now, like five years ago, even it would have made such a difference in my approach. I would have changed things so much sooner. Yeah. And I was playing so small, like just doing single family homes as student rentals, even like not financing them commercially, like just it wasn't scalable. Yeah. And now I look at the way people do things and the market's entirely changed, which we'll talk about. But it seems like the direction to go was so obvious. Uh, or is now anyway, yeah. you know, but hindsight's always twenty twenty. anyways. So, so give me your thoughts about the scalability, when that all happened. And uh, I'd love to get your take on the outlook now. Yeah. So, um, basically, um, the whole thing with the, with the family business is that, um, it's, it's a, it's a closed cell operation. You know, there's not a lot of extrinsic in influence, extrinsic understanding to uh, help us grow our mindset. You know, where it's like a household, you know, you know, households, they end up having their own inside jokes. They end up having their mm-hmm. own like, dynamic and uh, to the point where sometimes these households become a little weird. OK, right? yeah. um, we became very uh, grounded in our ways. And then when I went to university, I met people. I met Ping's wife and through Ping's wife, I met Ping. Mm-hmm. And then Ping uh, has uh, Ping's Taiwanese and he has a family that has their own investment philosophy. And he was really into real estate. So we just, you know, hit it off. We started talking 
and uh, it was a it was a great vibe, right? Mm-hmm. And from there, he started to open my mind up to things that I'm just like, okay, yeah, actually, this is this is great stuff. This is worth a try. So he wasn't in real estate at the time. No, his, he he was, but like he yeah. he was uh, he was he he was more focused on student rental. So like I was into yeah. multifamily, like okay. three units and up, and uh, and he was more into student fa- student rentals, right? And mm-hmm. uh, it was just like easy, clean that type of thing. Mine yeah. was not clean, right? It was very like Hamilton rentals were very messy. Right. So even though you were renovated and you had nice stuff, like you're just you're talking messy as a business model. Yeah, you know, there's different terms. You have different problems with with that. It's not as uh, it's not as nice as uh, student rentals can be, right? It's just a different demographic, yeah. right? Yeah, I've been through some of them. Uh, you know, I've definitely seen what goes on in those areas. Like they they fetch a good rent, you you make good money, but the standard of quality compared to what I was doing in London mm. was much lower. Yeah. No, for sure. And that's why, and that's, but, but therein lays the thing is that the longer you do it, it does get better. Yeah. Right. As long as you're on top of it. Right? Like <laughs> you're saying your processes, your quality. Your processes, your vetting. And on top of that, when you start yeah. to get in people who you are better working with and yeah. uh, you just, you understand, especially when you hold a property for a long time, you understand yeah. the nuances of it. Oh, and the type of people you want in and it. The type of people you oh, want Oh, yeah. hundred percent. Right? Yeah. I was fortunate to have somebody who kind of mentored me on that. So I went straight for the jugular, so to speak on like exactly who I wanted so really really well to do like their parents pay for it and their parents are willing to pay more for their kid to have a great place that was my bread and butter and it worked fantastic yeah there's there's an interesting niche market for these things actually there's this guy that uh there's this guy a friend of mine actually he's a Greek guy in Westdale of Hamilton he owns some very interesting properties that guy four years ago even he was renting out each room for 900 to 1200 dollars a piece Wow. A room, right? And uh, his whole thing about it was he was targeting only like a certain affluent uh, yeah. class, a very niche class of like people who wanted mm-hmm. this. And, you know, both parents are some kind of doctors, you know, yeah, lawyers yeah. or whatever. And they want to make sure that their daughter, when moving into mm-hmm. this room, is going to be pristinely taken care of, like to the nines, room decked out, TV, yeah. own washroom, uh, cleaning service, you name it. And at thousand bucks a month yeah okay we i love it that. yeah <laughs> i love it i love the niche approach i know a guy who did uh they would solicit in china for chinese international students mm. directly for fanshawe college yeah and they would get them and they would get crazy money and put them into like a situation where they were living very compactly with each other but making a ton of money yeah exactly yeah that's yeah that, that 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 was a big market for a long time until I think a lot of people started to get started to get into it when we first got into the student rental market and mm-hmm. when Ping and I got into the property management side of things it was actually the Chinese audience that I think we really capitalized on mm-hmm. and it was largely because of him right because yeah. uh there was a, turns out there were a lot of Chinese landlords and th- a lot of Chinese people only want to work with Chinese people. It turns out, yeah, right, and that makes uh, sense. yeah, and and Chinese speaking people. It was like all of a sudden mm. there's a trust, right? And that was one thing that we found, and uh, basically went out there, and we were the only, you know, relative like one and a half Asian couple <laughs> <laughs> guys going around doing yeah. uh, doing that kind of work, and uh, we were able to capitalize there, and we were also targeting. Uh, agencies that were working with for chinese students to find housing yeah and it was interesting what they would pay for and how much they would pay for it like if you included food cleaning service like everything just had a markup and then you would find those chinese students that would pay one year up front yeah right big takeaway there is listen to your customer don't assume anything ever like just talk to your customer what do they actually want or in you know pink's case he probably had some inside knowledge yeah he could speak chinese obviously right 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he could go onto the the message boards maybe in China and even figure out like what the chatter is, what they're looking for. Yeah. I mean, that's such a, a huge asset. Yeah. Exactly, right? And you can capitalize on that. It turns out it's very messy and uh, that's also it wasn't very uh we we weren't able to systemize it the way we wanted to. Right? It yeah. turns out there's a lot like because when Ping is the only one who's able to deliver that care, it traps yeah. him. So well, he needs to be able to hire and delegate. Like, how do you feel that you guys are with that? Like, have you been good at bringing in the team members needed to delegate that stuff? Yes. So, well, I mean, so there's always compromises with that. So we bring some people in um, and they're able to handle things a certain way. But I feel that when it comes to how I would do things or how Ping would do things, I feel like you're never going to replace yourself 100%. So you have to make certain concessions. Right? That's true. These clients, especially some clients that only want to talk to, let's say me or to Ping, and it's just no one else will mm-hmm. do, right? But how are they? How are they finding you? That's the part I'm curious. Because if it wasn't for your show, I never would have found you. I don't think. Well, back in the day, we used to advertise and put our phone numbers up. Turns yeah. out, putting your putting your phone number on your business card and giving it out is a really These bad idea. <laughs> I don't even hand out business cards. My phone number's a secret. <laughs> it, 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 I understand, right? But you know, when I was when, at that age, and uh, when yeah. I, when I was doing that, and when we were first starting out, we we're hungry for the business, right? Uh, that was that was a whole different. That makes thing, sense. Right? That um, makes sense. So that's how people were finding us. But no, um, at some point. We we grew the property management to a point where we're like, we don't want any more clients. Because, in fact, the point of the property management for us was really that we would be connected with other real estate investors, landlords. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. And these guys, we would be able to develop relationships with and work with. Mm-hmm. So we grew the property management, in my opinion, a little too big. We Having looked back at it, we would have liked to have pivoted earlier. Right, because we were both in university, we started calling people, offering people leasing services, and then saying, you know, do you want to do pro- do you need help managing your property? And mm-hmm. we'd figure out how to do this by just looking at. Uh, so, we had some techie friends, and we got some people to create scraping bots for Facebook Marketplace, uh, like Mac Off Campus website, which is for off off market listings, mm-hmm. and um, and just uh, Kijiji. Yeah, and this <laughs> it would basically bring in all the real estate listings and bring in all the phone numbers all these phone numbers were essentially of landlords or some kind of an agent. And we would know based off of the phone number where they live. Were they from Toronto? Were they from mm-hmm. like somewhere else? And then we would call up the numbers that had multiple listings and see if they were a landlord or an agent. And the one that was a landlord had multiple properties. They may be interested in... Ha- and if they were self-managing, we would offer them property management services. You could also offer to buy. Yeah. At the <clears throat> time, though, we were we lacked certain resources and creativity mm-hmm. in this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we managed their pro- a bunch of these people's properties and uh, we managed a bunch of student rentals because people were having like, pe- people eventually get tired of it. And those mm-hmm. are the people we were capitalizing on or not capitalizing, working with. Hmm. And those clients eventually turned into people we could partner with. Nice. And that's how we started to grow and scale because there's limitations. You can buy a handful of properties for yourself, right? Actually, some people have said that I've seen some people buy a lot more, but there's there's certain challenges there, right? If you're doing everything yourself. Yeah. But the minute you start getting investors in who want to work with you, because I mean, I see people go and approach investors and they say, hey, I have this great opportunity for you, but they don't know you from a hole in the wall. Why do they want to work with you? But as long as you have a relationship where you can just kind of sit, hey, call somebody up, you're like, hey, how's it going? Just want to chat with you a little bit about this. Mm -hmm. And it's not salesy. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. You're like business friends beforehand. So then if you have an ask, you're already set up for it. 
Hi friends, I just wanted to take a moment away from the episode to tell you about my brand new structured coaching program. This is the first time I've ever offered a structured coaching program where we'll have regular meetings in addition to an intro call uh, to go through what your goals are and help you get on a plan to achieve those goals within real estate. So if you followed me for some time and you feel that I would be a fit for you to help you achieve your goals in real estate based on my skill set, based on the topics we cover on this show, I encourage you to head over to my website, andrew-hines.com forward slash coaching and fill out the questionnaire so that we can schedule a call and figure out if it's a fit for us to work together. Let's face it, most people could benefit from a second set of eyes and ears going over their strategies, different deals that they're looking at, and helping to springboard ideas back and forth. This is a program that's exactly for that. So if you're looking to build confidence in what you're doing in real estate investing and get very clear on what it is you're trying to accomplish, this might just be the program for you. Take a moment, fill out that questionnaire, and let's schedule a chat. Okay, so... Um, this is what you're doing. You're building out the, the property management portfolio. Do you still have those properties? Do you still manage? Yeah. So that's pretty automatic. We we did. So we you're did not get adding more. No. But you're you're only by going. referral. Okay. And uh, we started uh, we started partnering with people again. The, so this was the whole thing. The the scalability aspect because that was your initial question, right? Like, yeah. tell me about the scalability. And one of the things we realized is that the limitation to our scalability was us. Mm-hmm. And uh, we knew we needed to network. And that was the reason for the property management. Because even when we started that, we realized that the property management business was a catalyst. Yeah. In order for anything in real estate, really, most things in real estate to happen, they're going to pass through the property management construction. Uh, any kind of like permits, visits to the property. If they're being managed, that's what's gonna that's what's gonna happen. You know, the banks need to get in. Uh, the landlord yeah. needs to do something. It all it all transfers through. So we ended up making all these connections everywhere. And all of a sudden, we yeah. had our arsenal of people, a network. Yeah, right? that's great. Yeah. And what year was this, like, that chronologically, as you were starting to get the network with the, the property management? It started about 2017. Yeah. I think we realized we grew, like, we boomed as soon as the pandemic happened. Okay. We really boomed because at that point, nobody wanted to go and deal with their own properties. Okay, so, so everyone's sudden, calling you up. Yeah, all of a sudden, it just went crazy. Yeah. Right? Um, and that's when I think we overdid it. We overgrew. Okay. Um, at that point was when we should have started uh, focusing inwards on our existing client base yeah. and saying, hey, who wants to get in on this project? Who wants to get in on that project? And like just projects have... you're working on? You wanted to bring them in as investors? or Yeah, what? as investors. So basically, because yeah. all these people, no landlord ever bought a property and said, okay, I don't want to buy anymore unless they're having a bad time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And there's several, but then they're just looking to get rid of it and you can help them out there. That's another yeah. thing, right? And that's was yeah. another area where our property management was great because people would come to mm-hmm. us with these bogus problems with their tenants and people are very emotional when they have problems mm-hmm. with their tenants. Oh, yeah. And people would come to us and say, hey, uh, you know, I have this problem, this tenant, I just I just want out. I just want out. And then you tell yeah. them how to solve it. It's like, I don't have that kind of money. And then you realize that they have X amount of equity in the property and say, listen, you can be dealing with this trivial tenant issue or you could be sitting on half a million dollars. Yeah why don't we we can't solve the problem for you without you paying us but we can take this problem away from you yeah yeah. oh that's right there it's golden yeah and this is like if people ask me like if you're still living with your parents or you know you're thinking about going to school or or doing something like this go either start or work with somebody in property management better to work with somebody but like get into that kind of a business or something real estate adjacent because that's where you just learn everything yeah it's yeah. hard to tell people to do that, though, because it's hard work. <laughs> it is. Like, it's a thankless job, property yeah. management. It's uh, typically low margin. In Hamilton, property managers get paid very well for very obvious reasons. 
so it's like what typically eight percent, right? Plus yeah. leasing fees. Yeah, and it becomes yeah. obvious if it's not obvious, it becomes obvious when the people manage their own. Yeah, stuff. when you manage your own, then you really because Hamilton's different. Whereas you can go to other cities and you could find that that's very much not the norm. Yeah. Uh, for my student rentals, I used to have it was like a flat ninety nine a month plus leasing fees. Yeah. Like that is you know relatively good. I mean the leasing fees kind of got annoying eventually, but in uh, Toronto. What's that? In Toronto? In London. In London, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but like a lot of property managers look at those leasing fees as, uh, you know, that's the way they make money, right? Not so much the monthly fees as much as the leasing. Yeah. Uh, But anyways, that's a tangent conversation. I think it's a great business to get into, but as you said, it's it's very difficult work. Yeah. And I think, you know, as I get older and we're roughly the same age, uh, I learn that it's more about how you build the organization, how you build and invest in people. Uh, to hopefully replace yourself because there's so many things that I used to be willing to do that I'm no longer willing to do and that's sort of my my subconscious slash conscious telling me hire somebody (laughs) like that procrastination element like I just don't want to do this anymore like I'm especially with you know having such restrictions on my time with a little one at home and Mm. you know what I mean like every minute has to be planned so for you you have uh, a wife kids anything actually uh, recently engaged so congratulations that's coming yeah no kids yet then yeah no, so we're, we're we're working on it timing it now <laughs> okay yeah you're figuring out all that so i mean but you've already set your stuff up like you probably have a team that you delegate to at this point yes and uh and therein lays uh some of the con the internal conflict right mm-hmm. yeah we have a team to do everything that we've now set into motion and that's great but the more you innovate mm-hmm. the more you the more you have to replace yourself yeah. And to the point where that in itself becomes exhausting because replacing yourself with a specialized person in each area becomes tiring and taxing, right? It's almost like I need to get a person mm-hmm. who's going to continually do that part for me. Yeah. What about a business manager? I know I know, uh, Simeon Papaelias, he's been on here a couple of times. Uh, well, once on the podcast, once on REI Hot Seat. And uh, he has a business manager, like somebody who just like, not a personal assistant, but like somebody who like helps him think about his business, helps him delegate. Yeah. Goes everywhere with them and like, kind of is him. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah. what. Okay, so we have a a business development yeah. uh, person, and that and they're doing great yeah. for the business. Um, but in terms of getting somebody who will adopt whatever is going on in my mind, yeah, uh, and is going to spend that time, it's it's. I've been looking for somebody. Ping has been looking for somebody too. It is very difficult to find somebody that is going to resonate with you in that yeah. way like how do you how, i don't know i don't know if you've tried hiring for that but like uh, how do you even go about that in, in practice i mean in the states people talk about it like it's nothing yeah but there's a lot i, I think people are hungry in the states in a different way than in canada uh, probably i don't know that's a that's a tough thing like i i hired an old friend from way back who works with me like operations manager in my business sort of replacing everything i I used to do on the construction business because mm-hmm. I have a general contracting business. So he sort of handles pretty much everything I used to do there, um, which has been amazing and like absolutely needed. Uh, and then I have my assistant, Jane, who she's more handling like, the things I can easily explain. But uh, Jeremy, like he can do, like, I, I mean, he, he asks me, he calls me up and we talk through some things, but he pretty much just does it all. Um, and I more focus on the mentality, like, this is why we do things this way. And I think that if you can find somebody that understands the why, then they'll figure out the how, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, I mean, for you, that's what you're kind of talking about. You want somebody to understand the why you do things the way you do. Because yeah. then they can come up with their own methodology and preserve that. Yes. 
And and that's and that is in itself. Okay, so one guy posed something to me. I thought that was very interesting. Where he says, uh, "The secret to finding somebody, somebody like this is you actually want to find. You, you can't call them this, but you want to find a failed entrepreneur." It's it, that's not wrong. Like the, they're some of the best people you could ever have work with you because they get it. Yeah. yeah. Who who will be able to conceive the, the this type of like thinking or the right? sidelines entrepreneur, like the one that that wants to do it but just can't bring themselves to put their own money on the line. But they yeah. get the way of thinking. They get that exactly. And that and yeah. that, and that's and that's the thing that is hard. Uh, that is sometimes hard to find. And I and I did try to look for you. You find people and uh, they at some point present you with resumes and they you can see mm-hmm. that they had their side hustles or their other business. So they really like to think outside the box. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it sometimes takes a little while to find out if you guys are actually going to stay in the same direction. And yeah. Click, right. Yeah, so I guess this has been this has been that hurdle for you, right? Yeah, it, it, it's it's been a, like we have. That's the thing is that things are good right now. We have the right people and we have the right team. And then now it's also like, should we just promote these people because they've been with us for so long? Yeah. They know us. They know how we think, right? But now then right. you're replacing uh, your 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 canopy, and, you're in, and that's okay. But you're now going to have to replace the whole down but, layer. But they can train their replacements. They can train their replacements, right? Yeah. But that's also something they have to cultivate. So we're in the process. Yeah. It's just taking a long time, yeah. <laughs> right? So well, and I think this is a really relevant. Discussion. Discussion because today with the way real estate's changed like being able to buy a few properties and like quit your job that was a thing in like london east london kellen james good example of that i know he's been on your show too um it's not the same way now yeah like in a, in a few years changed that so now the people who are going to make it my prediction in canada are the people who build a business around it they treat their their real estate like their business and it's going to separate the what they say the wheat from the chaff. Like it's yeah. just it's going to change the dynamic. There's going to be few fewer people in the game, but the ones uh, that are in it are going to be very professional. Yeah. Um, and and to that point, I think if people want to be very um, very deep in terms of what business they're doing, it is even better if you have synergistic businesses that you're mm-hmm. able to that you're able to circulate that is going to feed yeah. other businesses because that's like you're a realtor and an investor or you're an appraiser and an investor exactly. we have so many people who come on the show like that wholesaler and investor yeah like, exactly it has to it has to feed because complimentary, that, that's the thing right? you have you have yeah. you have a you have essentially a line of uh transactions that are happening yeah. how many of these transactions can you get a piece of and that's what yeah. we're trying to do even with what what we're doing and that and that was where when when we're talking about what was your scaling point or where did you figure out is the scaling point i learned mm-hmm. that my flipping of houses and even the rental income and uh rehabbing properties so that we can rent them out and refinance them or whatever um mm-hmm. that was all an individual revenue stream mm-hmm. this wasn't the business this yeah. was just one revenue stream of the bigger business like right. flipping houses is a flipping houses stream. is a revenue stream. Sure, it's not the business, right? It's just uh, it's more like a department, and that's where we start to realize we have to have the synergies, right? The property management brings in brings in an income. The house flipping brings in a, a chunk of money. The leasing through the property management also brings in a, a, a lump sum, and then you have the real estate company where with our with the realtors, where when we transact our own properties through the property management in and out, and then we're still managing them. <laughs> That's 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 an income, right? Yeah. So everything, how many checkpoints can you hit? And, and my and my family has a construction company, and we don't do the construction jobs for the clients, but but we can flip our own properties, right? Yeah. So you're keeping a lot of money in house over time. As you, who was it that said you want to turn every expense into an income stream? Any 
anything that any any area of your business where you have to spend money out if you can convert it into an income stream convert yeah. it right I forget who said that but it, I've never heard that before <laughs> I, I like the sounds of that yeah <laughs> no, it's good if you can think about that yeah okay that yeah that makes a lot of sense so um I want to transition into talking about what you're doing now here um are you still investing in hamilton is that that was your main area right slash yeah. is yeah um are you still investing there yes uh we, we still buy properties in areas where so it's not so it's not as let's just say aggressive and uh i would say as risky as as we would previously be mm-hmm and we're now investing in areas where we can just focus on what's happening to the areas. Like I personally like uh, the North and the Bayfront a lot uh, because they have the pier that's coming up and they're spending a lot of money developing that area. Mm-hmm. So we're just doing the standard thing of put your money where the city is spending money. Okay. Right. Yeah. And uh, that has good long-term projections. And we we buy properties that are not going to give us headaches, right? A lot of the times you real estate investors will look at properties that is just troublesome. Anything I can solve all these problems. Yeah. And you get to a point in your real estate investing career where you're just like, I don't want to always be buying problems. And then you yeah. start buying things that are just simple, cookie cutter, easy to do, right? Mm-hmm. Cosmetic stuff, uh, easy to rent out. Uh, you don't have to get too creative. And that was something that yeah. Ping taught me is that I was a very, am a very creative person when it comes to how I solve problems. And it's good to be able to use creativity, but it shouldn't be your first and foremost line of action. Yeah, easy should be. <laughs> Dude, every property I would touch, I would do way too much to. Like, I was just way too involved, problem solving. Take up, it'd take up, like, better part of a year of my time. And then I'd have a house at the end of it. And even if it's a perfect burr, yeah. it's like, that's a, almost a year. Like, or that's like eight months of occupying my brain. And yeah, I'm doing some other things. But I'm yeah. like, it's too slow. That's not scalable. Yeah. And like, what you're saying, I think to your point is... Like there should be some simple deals in there that just work that don't need you to go crazy on. Exactly. Yeah. And because now I don't need to find these deals and be creative on them, mm-hmm. uh, where creativity now is a last ditch attempt to solve a problem that happened that we didn't anticipate. Mm-hmm. Uh, the team that we have employed is able to handle these ones because they're yeah. straightforward. Yeah. So anything you can explain, you delegate. Exactly. The yeah. things you can't explain, those are the things you still do. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now it's scalable. Yeah. So we can scale the the flipping yeah. and the other things that are going on. But yeah. Is that uh, your methodology though? Like I've just been saying that lately. Anything you can explain, delegate. <laughs> yeah. No, any Anything that, yeah, it, 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 I feel like uh, it becomes very, actually when you say it like that, if you, if you break it down to be as simple as that, yeah, anything that you can explain, yeah. delegate it if possible because those end up being uh, jobs. The I, way I used to think about it is anything that is employable under like 80 bucks an hour, 100 bucks an mm-hmm. hour, whatever it is, just hire it, right? Very, well, it, those pay rates would be more indicative of something you can't explain. That Then you need somebody who can just understand the the why. Exactly. So it's the same yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That that works. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, yeah. I think that that's just so true. And like if you subscribe to the whole uh, Michael E. Gerber, E-Myth Revisited, I don't know if you ever uh, read that one, uh, but he's just big on like, there should be a manual for everything. I'm not sure if I can get completely on board with that, but with a lot of things, yes. Yes. Um, I, I do. We do subscribe to that. Um, the thing we learned is that we shouldn't be the ones writing the manual. I, I shouldn't either. I shouldn't yeah. either. I mean, uh, my patience for such things just isn't there. Yeah. No, it's um, it's challenging. And on top of that, uh, it's, and I, I think Gary Vee talks about this all the time. Don't expect, don't expect people who are working for you to think like you. 
right? They can only maybe yeah. start to, they, you can only maybe employ and uh, dis, um, disseminate values and mission mm-hmm. and vision and that type of thing. But you, yeah. but the way that you critically think, you're not going to be able to get other people to do that. So not the way you do anyway. So if you're trying to write a manual yeah. where you have a list of, you know, deductions where you say, if this, then that, if this, then that, yeah. their mind might not work that way. So it, yeah. and, and that's where we started looking into hiring processes where people started doing personality traits. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And trying to figure out yeah. what type of personality is best suited for this job. And it starts getting awfully technical. Uh, I don't know, man. I tried to do the disc disc thing. I, I just, to me, I talk to the people and my methodology is let's try out. Yeah. We'll see how you do after a couple of weeks. I will know yeah. after a week or two if it's working or if it's not. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and it might not be completely there, but I'll know, okay, there's potential here. We can work with this. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think that that's what we defer to as yeah. well. Just hire fast, fire fast, and just uh, bring yeah. people in and yeah. don't waste their time. Mm-hmm. Don't waste your time. Don't waste their time. And be, be upfront and say, hey, we'll never know unless we try this out. Yeah. Let's try it out. And if that's not worth it to them to, to go that route, then then you have your answer with them. Yeah. yeah. I even I even, I even have told people that uh, if, they, if they have a job, I really don't like telling people that. They should yeah, quit their you should quit your you. job, right? Just yeah. Listen, come spend three days. Maybe come on the weekend. Take one day off from your day job. Yeah. Come spend three days with me. I'll probably know, right? Like I'll, have I'll a good know idea. and you'll know probably. Yeah. Do you want? Do you want to proceed or don't exactly, you? Right. Because and why don't people do that more? Like they're so like yeah, like quit your job and come work for me now. Like yeah. what if you hate it? It's inconsiderate. <laughs> These are yeah. tough times, and honestly, uh, with with the way immigration is and people who have good jobs, honestly, if you have a job hang on to it right now yeah i've been saying that i think a job is an asset like there's a lot of people that are just so quick oh, i want to quit my job i want to quit my job like being an entrepreneur is not a simple thing like it takes a lot of mental fortitude yeah especially when you're older right like if yeah. you wanted to do something like this like it's different if you were a kid and you're living with your parents or something like that and you don't have expense your biggest oh, expense is yeah. if you get a girlfriend and you're you yeah, take 100%. her out right and yeah. that's your biggest expense um or going out to party it's like at that point sure you can be risky you can you know you're working uh you're working like uh a grocery store job that uh yeah. that you kind of got in the summer and you stuck with it and then you can just quit that that's yeah. not a big deal right, oh but. yeah like i i say this a fair bit i just i wish i had more uh of this knowledge and mindset back when i was you know like in university and stuff like i used to teach and i had two to four months off completely in the summer. You know what I did with that time? Sat around watching sports highlights, golfed a whole bunch, like just completely wasted. Like I didn't think like an entrepreneur. And the reason I didn't is because I never learned to from my parents, but that's not their fault. Like they didn't know. But I mean, you know, just with with what I know now, like that's what I want to like teach my son. Like start thinking everything you do, how do you add value to people? How do you profit? And then you'll never have to be, you know, in a job where, if somebody if they decide to fire you you're out of an income right like that's that's a risky yeah. position it, it is yeah it's the riskiest people say real estate's invest, investing is risky some like uh, you know who aren't specifically educated on the topic uh but it's also very very risky to to be employed yes if you it, need it if you need it yeah oh no 100% yeah. if you don't need it then no problem <laughs> like there are there there's yeah. different I, this I always find this to be a very sensitive point of conversation especially when I get into uh these talks with my friends right because obviously everybody has a different view and there's a saying in greek where it's not that anyone is right or wrong everybody has their right yeah right they're they're correct they're mm-hmm. they're what is right to them oh yeah right everybody has it and so uh working a job right it's it's it obviously is going to have it uh, a lot of pros i think versus entrepreneurship and the thing is that it's not that if you want to go into business 
people talk about leadership, right? Especially in school, mm-hmm. right? Everybody wants everybody to develop leadership skills of some sort, right? It's like mm-hmm. that is what is viewed as what people need to do. But if you want to do that, it doesn't mean that you have to be the leader. You can go out and work with somebody else who's just got what you maybe don't feel too confident about in yeah. yourself. And you can be a support, right? Mm-hmm. It's like uh, I played a lot of video games growing up. And uh, you always had these five-man teams. And the five-man team was very effective. It was like a platoon. It's like a squad. Yeah. And together, you're very effective. And without that one person, the team kind of just falls apart. And business, I find it's the same way, is that if you can recognize where you lack, mm-hmm. you are able to find others and partner with everything that you're missing. And that, I think, will make you the most effective. You can be a very incompetent person as long yeah. as you realize where you're lacking. Oh, yeah you can make things happen as long as you can get these people to like you and want to work with you. <laughs> 100%. And something I'll add to that is you may be lacking in an area now, but it doesn't mean you need to continue lacking in that area. Mm. But if that's where you're at, go find the people that complement where you lack and build those skills over time. If you like them, like some people would say, if you're not good at something, it means you don't like it. Well, maybe, maybe you just haven't been exposed to it. Yeah. So try it out. If you don't, if you decide, hey, I don't want anything to do with that part of the business, always have somebody in your business that can tackle that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's that's a very valid point. And I've I've thought that too. And that's why I'm big on strategic JVs, not just a money partner JV, but a strategic JV. I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. Like where you bring in people that that they're going to push you, you're going to push them and you'll do more together than you would com- cumulatively on your own. A hundred percent. Yeah. Right. That's what probably you and Ping, right? Yeah. It started off with Ping and I. And, uh, and that is where you know, because you were asking how bringing in people that are going to take over, that are going to replace what we're doing and we're going to be able to work with. When I look back and I think about it, the people, the best people we have, we didn't look for them. They came to us. That's that's awesome. It's and and that's where we actually realized the problem with the way that we were looking for for people um, is that we were it's the type of person we're looking for wouldn't come to us through the channels that we were seeking them. They just wouldn't, right? Mm -hmm. They might work with us and collaborate with Mm us and then come into the fold. And that is how we started to, to meet people actually, because that brings us to what we're doing today, which is now we recently started getting into uh, coaching and uh, training. Nice. Right. And that's largely because, you know, we did, we did get a point, we did get it to a point where people were just asking us, how do you do this? How do you do that? Mm -hmm. And like we're asking questions and then we, we, you know, when the pandemic happened, we're just like, okay, social media is the angle. And then one thing led to another. But we realized that the pinnacle scaling point for us, and this is, I think, part of any anybody's real estate evolution or business revolution, mm-hmm. is you have to start broadly connecting with people, even broader. Like we started mm-hmm. connecting through the property management with different businesses, mm-hmm. different entrepreneurs. But now we need to start uh, partnering with people who are really looking to hustle and to grow and to build themselves up. And so what we started to realize is people who we helped, and we realized this with a couple of people who now we work with, we helped them start their own property management and taught them to do exactly what we did. They did their own property management. Mm-hmm. They started doing, uh, they started uh, setting up construction jobs, and then they started flipping houses with their clients. And they did it way earlier than we did, as in they didn't grow to a ridiculous scale where the yeah. property management company became unwieldy, and mm-hmm. then they, they're, they're now dealing with all these problems. They took mm-hmm. those relationships and invested into properties, and now they're scaling that and it's a very comfortable business and now they're at a point where we can work together so the whole coaching thing is that if we can get people up and about and running Mm -hmm. then eventually they'll we'll be able to work together yeah and we have that relationship now beautiful right 
So that's the idea. So scaling, scaling is a very interesting thing. It is like different ways to do it, but you have to, I feel like you are always the limitation. You're always the limiting factor. You kind of have to think of yourself more as a catalyst and stop yeah. trying to figure out how to, how you can do everything. Actually, Grant Cardone said that at, uh, at the, um, at the, at the conference. Why is it? He was recently here at multifamily. Multifamily yeah, conference. Yeah. yeah. He said in the back, he said, uh, somebody asked him a question, but he said something and it, it resonated with me. He said, it's not about what you should be doing next. Oh yeah. Somebody said, what should I be doing next? And he says, it's not really about what you should be doing next. After a certain point is what you shouldn't be doing Yeah. next. Right. I mean, I, I, uh, I agree. There's certain things you just shouldn't be doing. I love the part about the catalyst. And uh, I think people have never needed coaches more, good coaches, uh, than they do right now because now it's about business building. Yeah. You know, it really is. It's, it's turned into that. And it's about finding a model that works. You know, if you want to go down this path, you decide. And there's still a way to crush as a real estate investor, even in Ontario. But the approach is definitely going to be different than it was. Um, you can still go elsewhere. But if you're going to go to another country or another province, you really need to be organized. Yeah. You know, people sometimes talk about it. It's not it's not that easy to just to just move, right? I mean, there's no, a lot. But I, well, even to invest at a distance, right? Yeah. 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 In another country. <laughs> yeah. Right. If, in, in different provinces, at least there's some there, there's there's a line, there's a lifeline, right? If you go mm -hmm. into different provinces, and there should be some familiarity. But yeah, no, it's 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 challenging for people. People talk. People are always distracted by shiny objects, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and. This is where I really appreciate cultural philosophies, right? And the Pings family would always say that you're looking far away for, you know, money that you can make right? mm -hmm. in other countries and other places, you know. And it, it, some of it looks very novel and interesting and nice. Yeah. It says, tell me that you can't look at what's right in front of you and figure out a way to yeah. make money. And you can, right? It's just how many deals will you look at? And I don't get me wrong. I, I'm... I'm a no excuses kind of guy. Like there is a way to make money in Hamilton. There's a way to make money in Burlington. You can be creative. It's just the amount of deals and how many you'll have to look at it. But yes, you can do it. Mm -hmm. You can do it in your own backyard. Uh, it's just, you might need to be a little more sophisticated. Like somebody like you would be better equipped to find a way to make deals versus somebody that's newer. Yeah. And uh, that is something that is very challenging to teach. It is. Because that's the creativity, right? You you mentioned that. Like I used to sit in front of the zoning map. I'd be looking up the zoning, reading the zoning bylaw. Then I'd be I'd be printing out the sheet. This is before I had like, well, the city tool didn't have the ruler on it. So I printed out, I'd figure out a scale using my ruler. And then I'd start mapping out if I could build something. Wow. Like that that's... was what I used to do. I would be looking at properties over and over again. Anything I could find listed, I'm like, gotta find a way that I can make this profitable. Yeah. And I'd find deals that way. And that skill, that served me. I, I could quickly look at something and say, ah, I've, I've run this exercise before. I know what I can do on that property. Yeah. And yeah, maybe that's something that, that you build in. But that's a level of sophistication. That didn't happen overnight. No. And it also, there's something, in, there's something innate, I feel, there. Because to have that kind of curiosity to begin with, some, mm -hmm. somebody might, might hear what you're saying and say, you know what, hey, I could do that. But you're, but you might end up forcing yourself to do that. Mm -hmm. You must have had something like that must have been making you happy. It kind of did, yeah. yeah. Like, like just to put a good deal together. Like I, I, I kind of had an in because like a friend of mine kind of got me going on this, and then I went down that path, and he never really did. Like, and it started with, uh, so he was a realtor, and he would take the deals that didn't need additions. 
but he'd only give me the ones that needed additions because he didn't want to do them. So I'm like, I guess I got to become an expert in this if I want to play this game. Yeah. So it was, it wasn't that I loved doing that, but I loved being able to, to be in the game. Yeah. And, uh, that allowed me to be in it. But what was it at least a little bit in line with something in your nature? Uh, I, I think I'm pretty analytical. I like to ask questions, like to find answers, but I don't like repetition. So uh, I think that looking at unique opportunities and everything, every situation is different kind of, yeah, that's, that fits yeah. to a degree. Eventually that gets old though too. Yes. And it only, so it only works as long as I could see um, profitable deals, but then 2017 clicked around and, you know, prices went nuts and it's like, oh yeah, this doesn't really work anymore. Yeah. Uh, not the way it did. And that's when things really started to change in London. And then, of course, the last three years, just insane. Uh, but they were everywhere, right? Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, I think, say say that didn't happen. Eventually, I would have hit a point where I'm like, eh, I'm bored. I want somebody to do this for me. I don't want to do this anymore. And I would have trained somebody. Eventually, like, my son was the catalyst to to really make me focus on building businesses, real businesses, like uh, hiring and just, just growing an organization, investing in people. And uh, that's been the big change and nice. the best change. Like just really, really like bought my life back. You know, it's very, Ping's been telling me, he's like, when you have a kid, you're gonna, you're gonna understand, right? And mm -hmm. I, I always find that's a very interesting thing to, to say to somebody who doesn't because uh, now anybody who doesn't is looking at this moment that's going to come at some point in great anticipation. Like, mm -hmm. how is this gonna change my life? I can't wait to see. But I think when people talk about needing their time back, Mm -hmm. And not and not choosing things that is going to suck you in. Mm -hmm. I think nothing's going to motivate you more than having a child that's going to that you want yeah. to constantly be around. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Don't wait to have kids. Like I just, I mean, this is just my mentality. Like if I could go back, I would have done it sooner. Like if if everything had worked out and you know I could have got Jordan on board, we would have done it sooner. But yeah. uh, I say that. I mean, she would have said no. We waited the perfect amount. Yeah. But I just think it's like the best thing we do. And and to prolong and wait and wait, you know, it's just going to make a make for a smaller family. Make, now I want like five kids, but is that reasonable? <laughs> we have one. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not unreasonable. Yeah. <laughs> I came from a family of five kids. But yeah. there was legitimately a time where I'm like, ah, I don't know. I don't know about having kids. Like I'm enjoying my freedom and all that. Uh, you don't know until you do it, right? Like, and then you realize, oh, this is amazing. So... Yeah, that's I, my commercial for having kids. Yeah, <laughs> now there, there's a lot of things that I feel um, are are things that you need to do in your life, and I, I think like I, I used yeah. to read Greek philosophy, and I think it was Socrates. I'm pretty sure it was. I hope it is. Where he was saying uh, the only the worst thing a man can do is to get married, have kids. Mm -hmm. The only thing worse that a man can do is to not get married and have kids. Yeah, right. That was that's it. That's that was, great. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So on that note, I will say do everything you want to do, like everything that would require your evenings and, and your weekends. Do all of that now <laughs> before the kid comes. Like in anticipation of having kids, I got permission from my wife to golf every single week, uh, even multiple times. And that was cool. But I mean, I look back and my wife does, too. And we're like, we're like, why did we waste so many nights watching Netflix or doing this? And we thought it was all fine at the time because we did lots and we worked hard. Um, but if I could get that time back, I'd be, you know, tinkering, building, you know, doing stuff. I, I would use the time differently and that's just perspective. Yeah. Do you have a, do you have like, um, a productivity itch? I love building things. Like I love using my hands yeah. like, and I don't get to really, right? Like I'm, I'm white collar behind the desk most of the time. And, uh, yeah, I just 
to me, I, I love creating stuff and that's just like happy place for me. Yeah. See, that's, that's the innate thing that I feel that, uh, a lot of people struggle with. Not everybody has this internal desire to just be doing stuff, to mm -hmm. be doing something. A lot of people are content to just sit and do nothing and like kind of do, do something that paralyzes the mind rather than stimulates it. Well, I think a lot of people think that they like that. And I did too. For a long time, I wasted a lot of time. As I told you what I did with those four months off in the summer, it's like that was that was fine for me at the time. I just look back on it and I, I know I would have been happier had I discovered you know, building stuff like in the in the 15 minutes I have to myself at night, I'm like tinkering, working in the garage. I'm like building guitars, like just because I find that stuff fascinating yeah. and fun. No, that stuff's amazing. Yeah. No, pe people people need an outlet. Um, I, I can't remember if, I, if we talked about this the last time we were, we were speaking, but um, I started putting myself into a position again when things were stable and I had free time where I would be doing some kind of manual work, mm -hmm. uh, largely because I'm a relatively skinny guy naturally, and I thought and I was putting on weight, and I was because I was always behind the desk, mm -hmm. and I was always like uh, doing. Uh, I was a little bit too offset into white collar work, mm -hmm. and I spent all my life. Like, I'm a very practical, handy person, right? Yeah. And uh, but the problem with that is that that's limited, like in yeah. terms of the scalability thing. So I started focus on things that were scalable, and a lot of white collar things are scalable. Yeah. Um, but the thinking part of what I had to do was lagging. And mm -hmm. I thought it was lag, and I figured that it was lagging because of how I was spending my days, how I was treating my body. So I started doing physical things. And even when yeah. I come home from work, I still go home and I like to similarly tinker in the garage or fix something around the house or just uh, my brother, he likes to repair things. So we'll yeah, work yeah. on things. We'll work on a car together or something. That'd be right? amazing. See, I'd love to do that. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, and it's physical. And my friends sometimes complain and say, why is it that you guys always want to just work? This is rewarding. <laughs> this is fun, right? <laughs> yeah. And I, and and sometimes we get together yeah. and we talk about real estate. And we're at dinner and they're just like, "Oh, why you guys always want to talk about work, right?" And I said, yeah. "You know, some people get together, and if they talk about opening up a club, it's called shooting the shit if they, because they don't have a club. But the minute they they say, "Yeah, let's do this," yeah. where does it switch from shooting the shit to work? Yeah, yeah. Right? If your work is your is your play, then you know. I used to get that all the time from Jordan. She's like, why do you always just talk about real estate? I'm like, because it's fascinating. Like, I, I truly get so much more out of being able to talk about things that are real to me than talking about the weather or whatever. Now, there's obviously a balance. But, uh, you know, again, like we'd be talking like Jake and I, like we're both in real estate. When we go for lunch, we're talking about guitars and bikes yeah. and like <laughs> whatever. We just, you know, the, the conversation evolves. But four or five years ago, all I would talk about with anybody was the deal I'm working on, a real estate flip and stuff. It's, you know, there's an evolution there, of course. Yeah, 100%. Um, I wanted to talk to you about like just business building, business tools uh, on this note, because we talk about team building and like adding in, yeah. you know, people. What are some some critical tools? Like, are you guys still soliciting off-market deals? Do you do mailers? Are, are you building in that side? And like on your property management side, do you have a CRM that's managing those relationships and kind of queuing you to build them? Yeah, so we switch CRM tools. Uh, I think uh, we, we have been switching CRM tools a little frequently, which is probably not the best. Mm -hmm. But uh, we've depending on uh, depending on the team that you have in place and what they're able to work mm -hmm. with best, that is the one that yeah. we stick with. So as the team evolves, sometimes we end up switching tools. But obviously, there's, we started off with certain basic ones like Salesforce, right, mm -hmm. for, uh, for CRM management and keeping uh, tabs on people. Yeah. But... Um, 
uh, when it comes to tools that we use for, let's just say, let's just talk about like marketing and deal sourcing because I feel that yeah. uh, that might be something that interests people. Let's say you want to get off-market deals, right? And your mm -hmm. pitch is, you know, it's kind of like those guys, we buy houses cash or something. Yeah. Right? Uh, we diversify through some kind of flyers, uh, door hangers. Um, we do Facebook marketing, and mm -hmm. uh, we obviously have certain email lists, and uh, we we also put out certain videos, so like even just yeah. YouTube videos, right? uh, and sometimes we'll push them. So we spend money in all these different areas. What we find is that it takes anywhere from about seven to eleven thousand dollars worth of marketing material to get one solid off-market deal. Okay, and you're still doing that today? Yeah. So about yeah. that that is that is the range, right? And and it's interesting because it seems like there's often no rhyme or reason to what is effective. Sometimes door hangers don't do well. Mm. Uh sometimes we get uh sometimes they do for some reason. Your right? competition must be less with that now though, right? Like in, compared to what it was, there was so many everybody and their brother was was doing a, a door hanger or a, a, one of those handwritten fake handwritten uh flyers oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. letters. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I haven't looked into, I mean, we've, we've just had this on autopilot, right? So I don't know. So every month it's, it's happening. It's just happening, right? And I don't know if it's less or less or more. However, I do find that as we grow our social media presence, we are getting more offerings. Uh, so people are reaching deal. out to you and saying, hey, we got something. Yeah. And it may be yeah. a combination of, of right now, there's a lot of people who are hitting distress points. Yeah. There's more people hitting distress points, That's gonna which be a is thing. creating yeah. more available opportunity. Mm -hmm. um, that we're able and our negotiating power is a little bit better right now, obviously because there's not a lot of uh, yeah. people who can buy. So you're still getting great deals then. Well, probably. we're still getting deals, and that's the thing is that people sometimes say, "Oh, is, is flipping still work?" Right? And I, and I don't like those broad, big questions. Does this still work? Does this still work? It's like everything always works. It's just you have to tailor it to your market. Right. And I, the thing I would say that's majorly changed is you used to be able to do like a plan A, B, and C, and oh, I could flip it, or I could just refi and it'll cash flow. <laughs> You know, plan B might not be as strong. Yeah. But, and I've always preached the plan A, B, and C. So if your plan B and C aren't that strong, then your plan A needs to be that much better. Like yep. it needs to be like so confident that like you just know it's going to work. That's kind of how I feel about it. And that's probably when you're looking at deals, you guys know your contingencies aren't as good as they used to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're just not, they're not as comfortable, right? Yeah. So renting it out is a, renting it out is kind of a stuck position right now. Mm -hmm. Right, it's not uh, it's not ideal, and you and, probably won't cash flow. Uh, no, you won't cash flow. Yeah. But that's okay. Right? That's okay in a portfolio where you already have a lot of cash flow elsewhere, right? Yeah. Okay. So. Okay. So, Plan C. <laughs> if you are stuck, it doesn't mean you just sit on your sit on your hands, right? Just waiting for something to happen, right? Yeah. You got to do something, right? And this is where I uh, will start to look. If we if we're sitting if we're sitting on a property for over a year, and we or we're projecting we're going to sit on one for over a year, that's where we start to go through now long permits, uh, adding extra units, maybe considering yeah. an AD or at least paving the way for such things. And then right. you can sell it with the approval or something like that. Yeah, with yeah. the approval, or if we're still sitting, then maybe we'll just go and do it. Build it, right? Yeah. You can build it yourself. Yeah, no, we can. Yeah. We can. And yeah. that's the thing where right now, when things are challenging, this is where um, I know things are tough, and I know everybody's having a, a hard time. Yeah. But and but I actually don't have too much of a problem with the way things are right now, um, just because things are hard for me. Then. The whole thing is that as long as the playing field is even for everyone, yeah. I can compete. Yeah, and, and to your point, like you can, 
you have that can-do attitude. And that's the one you need to have because things won't on the surface always look great. But if you keep asking questions, how can I make this better? What can I do to add income here? What can I do to add value here? Yeah. Answers will come. But if you don't ask that and you say, oh, I'm stuck and I, you know, terrible situation, then that you're going to get what you what you wish for pretty much. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. That, and that's the thing. I think a lot of people don't want to bet on themselves that much. Yeah. Right. And um, and that's why they're they often operate in fear. I get scared of a lot of things. Actually, I'm not going to lie. There's certain situations that uh, that intimidate me. And I don't feel like when I'm intimidated, I make good decisions. But I've learned that if I'm not in the right mindset, mm -hmm. I have a partner I can defer to. Yeah. Right. And that is and I'm upfront about that. I'm saying, listen, this scares me. I don't feel confident about this. These are the reasons yeah. why. What do you think? Kind of you know, uh, yeah. I don't think I can make a good decision. I always feel like you should make decisions out of passion rather than fear. Yeah, that's true. And you'll you'll be better off that way. Great point. <clears throat> okay, so your deals that are costing you 11000 to get. Yeah. What kind of profit are you targeting these so, days? Like price range and profit range. Okay, so like wholesales right now, they're not too ambitious. They're maybe like uh, seven to fifteen thousand dollar on the spread. That's what you right, want to assignment. That's what's coming up. That's what's reasonably coming about at least for us right okay. now in terms of like ability. But then also comes in the the flip potential, right? Mm -hmm. So our strategy is use wholesale strategies to acquire properties. Yeah. And uh, and this is stuff that we teach too, right? Because uh, there, there's a lot of opportunity that we're not getting. Like we can't yeah. take everything. So the use the wholesale strategies to acquire properties. If if the margins yeah. are attractive enough, dump mm -hmm. it. If not, flip it. So long as those flip margins are attractive yeah. enough, right? And in a flip, what do you want to make? Like you're looking at a cosmetic flip, or are we talk cosmetic flip? Yeah, uh, anywhere from uh, usually renovations are will be like two to four months. Okay. Right. And depending on what's happening, uh, cosmetic flip always. So no permits. Um, just just yeah. You don't want to. You don't want to. You don't want to move anything, right? Yeah. And even if possible, don't remove all the drywall. Like keep things simple. Yeah. Right? Keep, keep things simple. simple. Something that you can go in and just look at the colors catalog. Lip, lipstick. Right? Yeah, throw yeah, in yeah. some new cabinets, maybe, and and yeah, fix something. Yeah. Fix, and there's certain things that we'll touch. Like there's certain things that we won't touch in the flip, or like we try to stay away from because it can get out of control, right? Like yeah. a, there's a lot of exterior work that can get out of control as long as it's paint. It's fine right mm. but the minute you start going into concrete you start going yeah. into extensive landscaping roof yeah. right like right, we don't want to be touching some of this stuff if at all po if we can avoid it yeah but simple roof sure right okay. or things where you just need to replace gutters right anyway point is try to keep it try to keep it relatively simple and improve things um and also listen to the market so we're, we're flipping properties and we want to be able to sell to that uh Middle to upper middle working class, depending on where we're flipping. We're flipping in Toronto, if we're flipping in Hamilton, you know, if we're flipping in, uh, in um, let's just say, Brantford or something, right? It's yeah. going to be different demographics, and you want to listen to what that market is buying and what they can afford reasonably. And only improve it to those levels, right? Only improve it to those levels. And today, people are actually not looking for top-tier, fully renovated houses, actually. They're looking for... They're looking for so there's a gap of affordability right now. Mm -hmm. And people are unable to find homes that they can afford to buy uh within a certain price range because everything is so well renovated yeah that it's just the people who spent the money on it need to make their money back yeah so it's yeah. priced a little so you're bit doing high. more uh just essentials you know uh what do they call it uh cheap and cheerful yeah sure cheap, cheap and cheerful but like uh, yeah like you want to do essential stuff right um if things can be kept mm -hmm. we keep them 
So you're not replacing the cabinets. We're no longer doing full guts. Well, we'll replace, we'll replace, we'll replace cabinets. There's still like a hierarchy of uh, priority, yeah. right? Where we'll say, okay, we almost always yeah. replace kitchens because kitchens, honestly. Yeah, kitchens and bathrooms. Kitchens and bathrooms. Mm -hmm. uh, what we might not do is actually like a full gut of the bathroom mm -hmm. if not needed. We might not tile up all the walls. Um, downstairs, we might not, we might not, um, We'll install only a small, small kitchenette. We not, might not do like a full U or L kitchen okay. anymore. Um, we'll, we won't relocate anything. We'll try to, we just try to keep things as lean as possible. And uh, we don't always go, yeah. we don't go to the studs if we don't need to. Also, because yeah. you need permits to do certain things like that. Um, so just try to keep it as affordable as possible. And if you don't have to, if some, if, if you can keep it at a certain price point and the next buyer is willing to contend with an issue, yeah. it's reasonable to contend with, do that. Yeah, especially if you're confident in your end selling price. Like if you know you can price it in a way that it's very attractive to a yeah. buyer, then I think that that's the way you go. 100%. Especially these days where affordability is far more of a consideration. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and also try to flip under mill. Under a mill. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Right. Uh, yeah. Flipping under a mill is just the buying pool is so Yeah, you much want broader. a big buying pool. Yeah. Big buying pool. I mean, I was thinking, yeah, get it under like 700 if you can. But I mean, I know that's getting harder to find. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. But even in Toronto, if you can, if you're, if you're able to, to, yeah. to hit it so that you're selling it to a population that can still do CMHC. Yeah. You're good. Yeah. Right. And that I feel like is, is things that they need to consider. So, the, so, the wholesale strategy, then the flipping portion, and then if that doesn't, uh, if you're unable to sell it for whatever reason, yeah. make sure it's rentable, and then wait, and then you can do permits yeah. and other things. So we have plan A, B, C, so D. You do, you do have it all laid out <laughs> yeah. there, and plus you guys have uh, an organization, a base of assets and income currently that can support if you have the occasional loser. If it does happen, you can you can work your way through it. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. after, okay, so that's the thing is that people are always willing to take the W's, but they're never willing to take the L's, right? When yeah. it comes to their their real estate yeah. game. I mean, we had some people who made great money a couple of years ago, mm. and now they're just like, this is, <clears throat> these circumstances are unacceptable. You know, yeah. real estate is lost. And it's like, if you just even dealt your gains over the next Five years. If you took that one year of gains and divided yeah. over five, you'd still be happy you'd with still it. Still be winning, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. But it's like people don't like to see the red numbers. No, right. They only like the green numbers. So um, when you're when you when you do real estate, when you do business, yeah, you're going to incur some losses somewhere. You are, and you have to take that unemotionally. Like you have yeah. to look at what funds do I have in this deal? Am I going to take a loss? Can I better deploy them elsewhere? If you don't have the answer that yes, then maybe you wait it out. But if you have a better use of those funds, you know, a lot of times the answer is going to be take the L, move on. Yeah. And many people, serious business people have that attitude. I do not hang on to losers. I get rid of them. <laughs> yeah. Like, why do I want the loser in my portfolio? I want to get rid of it and move on to a winner. Yeah. Um, you know, rather than dragging out the pain. So anyways, we could go on, man. Um, loved this conversation. <laughs> Where do, uh, well, first off, was there something you wanted to share about yourself that we haven't covered? I mean, I don't know. I feel like there's there's always a lot to talk about, but I mean, uh, the, in, I, I want to be able to talk about things that I think might interest people. Um, the relatability thing might be the the only thing I want to touch on because like Ping and I, we have different um, 
we're different people. We have different approach. We have different mindsets. We relate with different types mm -hmm. of people. Uh, the challenging thing I find in terms of who I relate to and who I speak to is that the things that I do are often challenging. It's hard to do some of the things that I choose to do, but that is also because I believe that that is where money's made. If it's mm -hmm. challenging, less people want to do it. And if you're able to contend mm -hmm. with those challenges, you can make money. And this is one of those times where things are getting hard for people. And if you are willing to do hard work, oh, I love it. Any kind of hard work, yeah. you can make money. And that's, and you don't have to be very sophisticated. Like I don't consider myself a very sophisticated no, just person. Do what people don't want to do. Exactly. Yeah. Right. This is the country where yeah. all this is the country where the work that people do because they're not sophisticated in other countries they don't get paid very much but they get paid bank here yeah the right? people because the people who are immigrating here are willing to work hard exactly it's and, the multi-generational canadians that and that is also to. the warning yeah. is that people need to yeah. be careful because right now there's a lot of people who are going to be coming yeah. in and these people uh, it's, it's that thing again these people yeah. have a work ethic that i think a lot of and i know because of my own friend group and i know because yeah. i went to school here and what they teach us is like we are really too good for certain types of work as of though right yeah. and it's and it's not the case That's bad conditioning it's bad conditioning yeah. and if you are just willing mm -hmm. to do hard work Now's opportunity. Right now, there's oh, opportunity it's so for hard huge. work. Yeah, don't think you need the dream. Everybody wants the dream tomorrow. They want to quit their job and they want their real estate to pay for them because yeah. they heard somebody else did it. Well, be willing to work. Be willing to work yeah. to get there. You can get there, but you've got to be willing to work. A hundred percent. And honestly, the only thing I've I've seen that uh, is really effective in terms of people who have quit their jobs to just do whatever it is that uh, they want to do, whether be in real estate or whatever their venture is that it lights such a fire under their ass mm -hmm. that they have to make it yeah, work. Yeah, well, they burn all bridges behind they, them. They burn the, they some burn, people, yeah. that, that's their personality type and it works. And some people, it's a horrible failure. So you have to know yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's the only good yeah. thing I've seen it do. But some people, yeah. no. And, and this is where you, you really have to try to understand yourself. Yeah. Like, are you this type of person who can do this? And if you're not, it's okay. It doesn't mean you're not meant for this. It just might not. It just means that you need to bring somebody into the fold who's got what you're missing. Yeah. Well put. I like it. Okay, so where do people find you and learn more? Um, okay, so yeah, we have uh, we have a YouTube channel. I release videos all the time about how to do different things. Uh, it's all Canadian-based, and uh, we try to basically teach people how to do uh, certain things in uh, real estate investing. I feel like my hair is falling all over the place. Um, no, you're good. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, certain things in real estate investing, right? Landlording, uh, property management, uh, house flipping, anything to do with real estate, like we talk about them in terms of how to mm -hmm. navigate it. Uh, so you can check us out there. Um, and if you want to connect with me on Instagram, uh, my handle is andrew.parashis, and you can find me. And I have tons of uh, short form content, just trying to give out little tips mm -hmm. and tricks on how to, again, deal with properties, be a real estate investor, and uh, things you need to know and think about. Love it, man. Well, thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate yeah. you uh, coming all the way over from Hamilton. Oh, thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, staying in touch. Perfect. This episode is brought to you by Controlling Compound Financial. They are real estate investors assisting other real estate investors to implement the infinite banking strategy. To learn more about how this can help investors like you, visit controllingcompound.com forward slash Andrew Hines. Have you noticed cash flow in today's market has been getting harder? As a result of the changing market, I've noticed a lot of investors focusing more on passive investing strategies, including private equity. Tune in to learn what these investors are doing at my passive investing webinar happening at 7 p.m. on October 25th, 2023. Special guests Carmen Campanero and Nick Wright will discuss how private equity works, what REIT investments are, what to look for, and even how you can have your RRSPs and TFSAs invested in real estate when it would otherwise not be possible. 
space is limited, so be sure to reserve your attendance using the webinar link in the show notes of this episode or by visiting andrew-hines.com forward slash webinar.